Hey everyone, welcome back to the Triumph Over Trauma show, uh, where we share stories uh, from everyday people and how they overcame adversity so that we can learn tips, techniques, tools, and strategies of how to overcome adversity in our own lives. So this is a very important topic for me that we're going to talk about today. So the title is My Depression Story. So I'll tell you, it's almost 1020 at night on a Tuesday. And I'm out in my garage. It's kind of cold because this is kind of the quietest place I could I can get to. I mean, the dishwasher's running. Um, I was just talking to my, my wife about this. And, you know, this is a really important topic for me. So I want to make sure I get this out there. Um, if you're wondering why I'm doing this so late. Well, this is just when it works for me. Just I'm, I'm making a point to prioritize my family and my job first and then podcast stuff afterwards. So just kind of put some healthy balances in place. Um, boundaries. So let me start by saying... I am not a mental health professional, um, so obviously if you need care, please contact your healthcare provider. I'll also say that I am going to discuss suicidal thoughts and suicide in this episode. So if this is a trigger or is uh, particularly difficult for you, just please keep this in mind. Um, and if you could use some help in this area, there is a wonderful resource a free resource called the Suicide and Crisis Line. And you can reach it by dialing 988. Again, that's 988. And that's whether you're you're having trouble with, you know, suicidal concerns or you just need to talk to someone. Uh, you know, that's why it's also a crisis line 24-7. So love that resource. So let's get into it. I do want to also share um, my thoughts, my prayers, um, for the family and loved ones of Stephen Twitch Boss, who was a well-known and admired celebrity, uh, who was on a part, a co-producer, and previously a dancer, or DJ, and a part of the Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, he recently died by suicide. So I dedicate this episode to him, his family, and everyone who's been impacted by depression and suicide. So, as always, I'm going to start out by sharing the adversity that, that I faced, how I got through that adversity or overcame it, and then what I learned in the process. And so, so hopefully that can help you or, or someone you know. So, as I've shared in a previous episode, um, as, you know, as a child and even adulthood, my mom had bipolar disorder, which is, you know, characterized by ups and downs, extreme ups and downs, right? Highs, mania, and lows, depression. And through my life... I never had any concerns that this would impact me. You know, I always, I was always kind of, most of my life, um, pretty stoic, kind of unmoved by things emotionally, very kind of stonewalled, um, except for maybe, you know, some occasional times, um, usually if alcohol is involved, uh, unfortunately. But, so I never thought that would impact me, never had to worry, never had to worry about that. But all that changed in the year of 2016 and so I was about 33 at the time is when this first kind of hit me so to kind of paint the picture we had as a family we had just moved back to Florida from North Carolina I had had a, a period of a month or so of living in isolation kind of were, were actually a few months uh, in isolation where my family had moved ahead of me to Florida and I was still finishing up my job working on getting a new job um, I, I was still in North Carolina, so it was on my own, which is not a good thing for me. I think that's kind of some of the context. And then for some reason, uh, in right around Thanksgiving, right around Thanksgiving time frame of 2016, um, there was some kind of trigger um, on social media. And I wasn't on it, but I just had seen something. And it just stirred up some just unprocessed issues that I had and just really bothered me. And like I had this like deep kind of relationship jealousy that came up. This was just, it was pretty, it's it very irrational, really illogical, um, but it's just something went off of me. It's like some button got pressed and I just crashed. I mean, literally just crashed. Uh, I went spiraling really, really quickly and just to explain what I mean by that, um, 
you know, just things came up in my mind that really didn't have any bearing, you know, didn't, didn't relate to anything that it was, it was going on today uh, in, you know, in, 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 in current times. Um, but I think it's because deep down there were some things that had bothered me that I'd never dealt with. You know, they always kind of just were buried, just in, they were subconscious. So all this stuff was bothering me and I was a mess. I mean, absolute mess. I mean, just to describe it, you know, I became a very poor, you know, emotionally um, and in terms of my support, husband and father. Um, I was crying all the time. I mean, I would like literally go into my room. I remember it. This is in Florida. I would go into my, my room, the bedroom, and I would go into the closet, close the door, put the lights out, lay down on the floor, and just cry. And just cry. Just keep on crying um, for a long time. You know, my kids are out there playing. You know, this is like a great time where they're, they're, they're young. Um, my wife's out. It's a sunny day, beautiful. And everyone's out there. I'm literally in the, be- in the, in the bedroom crying, crying, crying. Um, so it was really sad. I'd, make, I'd cry on the way to work. I'd cry on the way back from work. I'd cry at church. I just was in tears all the time. Sad. Um, and really the first two weeks of when this happened, I was having, you know, my, my, heart, my heart felt like it was going to explode. My heart was, I constantly felt, literally I, I felt my heart beating nonstop. And I was having some kind of anxiety, racing thoughts, just things that were very disturbing to me. Um, so I couldn't relax. I couldn't really think critically. And it's just, you know, my heart felt really weird. And I was having anger. I was getting very frustrated. I was very, you know, unpleasant and rude to be around. Um, I mean, never anything physically, but just I was, I wasn't, I was, you know, I was just in a real bad spot uh, for, for the people around me. I think I was able to kind of mask it some at work a little bit. I was fortunate I was in a job that I wasn't really close to people a lot. I was kind of working more in isolation. So, I mean, and the, the panic thing was so bad that one day at work, this has gone on for like a, a, week or, a week or two, and it felt so terrible, I really thought, I was starting to wonder if I was having a heart attack. Because if you've ever felt like that, it's like my heart felt like it was really going to beat out of my chest. I felt like I, nonstop, I felt my heart pumping. And I'd never experienced anything like this before. It, just, it was so strong. I felt my heart beat. And I was wondering what was going on. So I got so bothered that one day I left work early. Um, I was in West Palm Beach and drove to the nearest urgent care. Uh, these are the urgent care ER. Whichever one that got me in right away. Might have been an ER. I can't remember. But I, you know, I drove nearby. Um, uh, and you know, they, they took me in. And they hooked me up, you know, if you ever had an EKG, I think it's called like electro something cardiogram, medical people know. All in all, they put a whole bunch of wires, they hooked them all up to my chest. And um, it's kind of a funny experience. Um, this, you know, it's just you're getting all these things hooked up. So, you know, you know, they're hooking these things all up to me and they take some readings and they get the results. And, and bottom line is, end up being fine. Like I was not having heart issues, so which led, led them to believe it probably was just some form of anxiety. So I had that going. I think that actually helped me calm down a little bit, just knowing that. So, and I later followed up with my primary care doctor and he said, yeah, look, you know, it sounds like you may have had like, you know, like panic attack. And I didn't realize you could have that for, for like weeks, but that was kind of his, his perspective on it. All um, you know, other symptoms, I also, you know, I said, I, I let you know, I withdrew. So I was with, I withdrew from things. I didn't want to be around people. I intentionally avoided situations. I would stay back away from things, from my family, from people that I, that I, that I did like. Um, I also lost interest in the things that I loved. I may have shared, and for those of you who know me, I absolutely love basketball. It's my favorite sport. I, you know, I'm literally walking around with some basketball shoes on right now, breaking them in. Um, so I'd lo- I didn't want to go play basketball, pick up basketball, which is something that is I'm all about, always have been since I was a kid. So I stopped doing that. I didn't have the, the drive to get out and do some things, that, like the things that I love, things that used to be my joy. I had no desire, no energy to do those things. So, and then 
also in some of his worst moments, um, and I mentioned this before, you know, I was, I was in 24 seven emotional and psychological pain. So it felt like the way I've described before, like everything was happening at once. I felt like the pain of being shot, burned, stabbed, had chemicals poured on me, drowning, you know, just like all these things all at once. It just was absolutely horrible, horrible, emotional, psychological pain. I was in constant 24 and I couldn't escape it. Um, as soon as I woke up, uh, all the way until when I went to sleep, it was really, really difficult. And because of that, there were many times where I would think through, you know, suicide about suicide. So I would think about, I mean, specifically the steps I would take, you know, the actions I would take, what I would do, how I would do it. Um, in many different scenarios, right? On different occasions. It wasn't just like one day. I'm talking about over periods of many times, different days, different weeks. And the whole reason I was doing that was because I just wanted to stop the freaking bleeding, the the pain. Like imagine if like you've got a wound that's just gushing and bleeding and bleeding and bleeding, a major wound, like a gunshot wound. It's like, you just want to stop that pain. You're, you're, you know, you know how this, you know, when you get a headache, the headache hurts so bad. Like if you've had ever had a a terrible, terrible headache, you're like, give me, you know, give me some Tylenol, some aspirin, something just because you know, my head hurts so much. Well, that's how I felt. I was in constant, tremendous pain. So many times there were suicidal thoughts only because I wanted to stop the hurt and I didn't know how to do it. And I think the only thing that continued to make me think that, no, you're not going to do this was I just knew, you know, I knew how much, how important it was for me to be here for, for my, for my boys. My two sons and for my wife, um, I just thought, you know, that's not right to them. That would really hurt them. Um, but I mean, sometimes I'd, I'd even rationalize. Sometimes I'd say, listen, I'll, I can stop being a burden and stop hurting others if I just go away. And I kind of thought through that, what the future would look like for them if I was gone. So I thought maybe that could be a good thing. Sometimes there was some of this mental, you know, this kind of bargaining going on in my head. Um, so scary stuff. And there's a, you know, my first time in my life, I've really, really thought like that. So all these things are going on, you know, um, tears, all this stuff, suicidal thoughts, crying, 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 um, you know, being angry, uh, just all this stuff going on 24 seven pain. So as this is happening, I, for a long time, I don't remember how long it took, to be honest, it's kind of a blur, but for a long time, I never considered getting any sort of uh, medicine or getting some kind of help. Um, I mean, beyond, like, I talked to my my primary care doctor and they just said kind of panic, you know, thing, it might've been that, but beyond that, I never had any interest in medication or any kind of therapy. And I, the, the reasoning, like, try to unpeel that, why? Well, in my mind, I always thought I can do this. I'm stronger than this. Like I can, I don't need some, you know, third party intervention. Like this is in my control. Like this is me. Like I'm in control of this thing. I don't need someone else, something else to help me. Like, and also think there was some, some potential shame and embarrassment. Like if I did that, like what's wrong with me? If I need to get some kind of therapy, like what does that say about me? How weak am I? you know, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a human being, you know, how weak is that, that I need to get some kind of help. So I never wanted to do it. And I never wanted to talk to someone. I was, I was, you know, embarrassed, ashamed, afraid. I didn't want to touch those things. Even knowing that those were possibilities. And even knowing, I think some people even may have mentioned to me, I just was in denial, like, no, nope, I got this. I'm, I'm better than this. I'm stronger than this. I'm going to beat this on my own you know maybe some pride was involved too without even thinking about it some kind of ego thing so but you know what I was suffering and suffering and suffering for so long and I don't know how long it was I'm just gonna guess it was a period of maybe a month or six weeks I'm not sure Um, and at this point I got to the point where I was like okay I'm gonna 
talk to more people and get more help. So I start talking to more um, medical professionals. Now, thank God, my wife's job at the time had a very rich benefit plan where, you know, things like, you know, specialists or psychiatrists, those kinds of things were very reasonable. And I say that because I know it's tough for people. Most of my medical plans have not had that, have not had that benefit. It's expensive. So that's another decision to make, right? Can I afford this type of care? So I finally get to a kind of a breaking point where I decide, you know, I have gotten through so much and it's so bad and the suicidal thoughts and the crying and everything is horrible. Like, I'm just wondering what's going to happen. You know, I'm causing so much damage to, to my whole family unit. Um, I finally get to kind of this pivotal point and I don't know, I don't remember a specific thing causing it. I think it's just eventual, the wear and tear got me to a point where I finally decided it was worth a shot. Like there was a turning point where I finally decided I might as well give some other things a shot because none of this is working. And this is horrible. Like the pain of remaining the same had finally um, become greater um, than the pain or the fear or the shame of getting help in a different way. So I started, you know, seeking out some other options. So there were two things. There was um, the therapy track, the, you know, counseling, and there was the medication track. And I think I started with the medication as the first one. So, you know, after seeing my, my primary doctor, I went and sought out a psychiatrist, um, you know, mental health professional who can, you know, who can prescribe medicine. And so I did get, got linked up, did a, you know, did basically did a depression screening for the first time in their office. And it was like, damn, everything that they asked, like, I never thought about it, but there's a questionnaire. If if you're, and if you're wondering, if you just look up mental health or depression screener, if you take that thing, it'll, it'll tell you where you are. And it was, you know, it was questions about, hey, in the past two weeks, have you had feelings of this? Has in the past two weeks, have you had this? And it was like, I was like across the board. Yes, 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 yes. And I didn't realize how bad it was until I took that screener. Like I thought I was just kind of like, you know, just kind of feeling down. Like, I mean, I, I didn't realize how bad it was. Like, and then for it to say like, hey, this is, you know, something called major depressive disorder. Like it's a thing. So I get seen by the psychiatrist. And at first I see like the kind of maybe the backup psychiatrist and, you know, she, you know, she's, you know, basically says, you know, you have the symptoms, right? Your clinical, you know, diagnosis is, you know, major depressive disorder, um, which is a mental health illness. And she prescribed me some kind of medicine. I don't remember which, what the first one was, um, but she she prescribed something. Uh, and let me back up. There was a time before I sought out the psychiatrist, now that I remember it, where I actually tried some over-the-counter stuff. I was talking, you know, just talking and Googling stuff, and there's a stuff called St. John's Wort, which is an over-the-counter thing. I tried that stuff to see if it worked, maybe for like a few days, nothing changed. And I was like, in crisis mode, I was like, hell no, I can't wait any longer. So that's when I saw the psychiatrist. So that was the first thing I tried. The second thing then was I tried what the, the you know, the kind of assistant psychiatrist just prescribed and whatever that was the first go round, like I tried this stuff and it was just making me feel unwell I think I started getting like the heart racing jittery I started feeling jittery my body was not taking it well so I like I start maybe had it for like half a day and I called them and said this is not working like I feel I don't feel right and I stopped I said we need to do something else so I went back in and I made a point where I, I, I told them I said I want to meet with the head psychiatrist of the, of the practice and I saw her and she went through everything and then suggested a different treatment, a different medicine. And this one was called fluoxetine, which is a generic for Prozac. And she, she suggested that, um, shoot, I think there was one other. No, no, that's right. That was the next one. Yep. So I, I started that one next and that ended up being the one that ended up helping me. Um, in the long run. So from a medicine perspective, you know, that was one track that I went down and that helped, you know, you, you start with one, you know, dosage and slowly ramp up to wherever you are to kind of to feel better. Right. And there are side effects. There were side effects for me at least, 
you know, feeling more tired. Yawn. I was like excessive yawning. I'd yawn all the damn time um, and just being super, super tired. Like it, it had other impacts, but it helped me not to be crying all the time. Like I could actually, you know, somewhat function. I was become a functional human being. So that was one part, but it wasn't just the medicine alone that helped me. Um, the other part was the, the therapy track. And this, the psychiatrist actually said, they said, you know, the statistics show that a combined approach of medicine plus counseling or talk therapy is shown to be the most effective combination of, for treatment of depression. So, okay. So I look in the benefits, look up, you know, go the, you know, look up our insurance, look who we can talk to. And I start the process of finding a therapist. So first I look up one person, you know, sweet older lady in the area, go and start talking to her. It was great because it was very faith-based, which I connected with that aspect, but it just, it wasn't working for me. This just wasn't the right connection. It wasn't helping move me. After one session, I could just tell. So, okay, strike one, I swing and a miss. All right, so then I I look around and find someone else. There's a lady, another lady uh, in the area. I go meet with her. We have our first session in person. We're talking through stuff and we get to a point where she says to me, well, are you a narcissist? And I was like, a narcissist? I mean, isn't that like the type of person who like, is like in love with himself? I was like, the, I was so such a broken person. It was the furthest thing from what I was ever, especially right then. So I was like, damn. I was like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't even know where that's coming from. So it was, it wasn't, it didn't go well. We didn't click. So swing and a miss, 0 for 2. All right, well, if you, if you watch baseball, you know that one out of three, if you can hit that one out of three, that's the 333 batting average. That's pretty amazing. That can get you the Hall of Fame status. So, all right, I've still got, I've still got a chance for the Hall of Fame. All right, I can still be a good hitter here. So, 0 for 2. And then my third attempt, there was always this guy that I saw. So, for some reason, I always thought that I would connect better with a female provider because I always felt more comfortable. I think about my wife. I think about just, there's something about that. Just I, I thought maybe the maternal thing that I'd better be, maybe, maybe be better understood. You know, the nurturing, the nurturer persona. So I always thought more comfortable. There was always, so there was always this guy who was, that I saw online. And he had kind of like a, I don't know, kind of a, a dark looking picture. I mean, it just looked kind of, kind of creepy to me. It looked kind of spooky. I was like, there's no way I'm gonna see this dude. This dude looks like he's freaked me out. Like, he looks like he's depressed. How's he gonna talk to me about depression? Dude looks, he looks down. Like, not a chance. Well, turns out he was like the next person on the list for me. And I'd been 0 for 2 with women. And it's nothing against women providers. That's just was what happened, had been my story. So I said, well, might as well give it a shot. Look this guy up, call him, you know, make the appointment for the first session. And I go in and, well, this is the one. Yep, it's working. So it was starts working really well. The dude was completely non-judgmental. Just listen, 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 and offer some real constructive things for me to think about. You know, that was beautiful. Um, he was able to relate with certain things. That was great. He, I mean, he was just what I needed. Calming. And we started working through the process. So and I started meeting with him once a week. And, you know, talked about a lot of things. And this thing called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, kind of changing your thoughts is one aspect. If you look that up, that's, you know, kind of changing your thought patterns, which is really important for kind of re- rewiring and, and reframing things. You know, we went back to the beginning and, and kind of talked through and thought about different things, triggers, experiences, traumatic experiences I've had in my life, things that have hurt me, pain that has, has existed and wasn't ever dealt with. We talked about some fears that I had in the past and that still existed, um, stuff that I never really dealt with, you know, things that I had never really processed or dealt with in my life. Um, we went to one, one session, we did this thing called EMDR. I don't know what it stands for, EMDR, but it was like this thing where he's trained in it. It's kind of some special thing. I think you turn the lights out, there's some kind of light thing going on and it's so like rapid eye movement from what I remember. And it's almost like you go through quick thoughts and whatever comes up in your mind. That stuff was kind of powerful. Like it was just like, there was stuff coming up my memory banks that I didn't even know were there. And I still remember what they were. 
like it brought back thoughts of literally being like as a little kid and at the bus stop with my mom and like hugging her leg wanting some kind of like affirmation or love or something I don't know like there was just it was just stuff that was I didn't even realize was there kind of came out it was it was a mate like and it was there for a reason so that, that was pretty powerful we talked about um you know how to kind of calm myself calm down when if in, if there was anxiety you know things like breathing techniques um you know being aware of your senses so we talked through a lot of things we worked through a lot of things we worked through a lot of fears we worked through a lot of past trauma and struggles and pain and it wasn't like you know you just press the button everything went away i mean it was ongoing ongoing hurt i'm hurting all this time too but i will tell you over a period of time the combination of you know the the medication was one angle and the talk therapy the counseling or the coaching as we could call it the other angle over time i started to do better now depression like i felt kind of apath- apathetic and depression and, and down you know it wasn't that like i started feeling happy let me let me let's get it right i didn't just like turn around and go from sad to happy what i went from was being horribly terribly tremendously in pain and sad to feeling like more of apathy nothing like or you know kind of more of what my baseline level was before so i didn't feel great i just stopped feeling bad if that makes sense so that was over a period of time um i didn't feel great it's still it's still really hard i still didn't feel amazing but i started becoming a little bit more functional slowly over time and i think we lived in we lived in florida for like i guess it was about a year or year and a half so over that that process you know gradually got a little bit better and um you know went up and down off the medicine as needed um i did make the mistake uh, you know they they say one they say once you so here's the thing once you start taking medicine and having the talk therapy you get a point where you feel better and they warn you they say listen you're going to get to a point where you feel better and you're immediately going to think i don't need this anymore but the thing is you feel better because of the medicine that's why duh like that's why you feel better so if you rip that thing off you're not going to do so well so they warn you don't just you know when you're don't just cold turkey stop medicine right well i didn't like how tired it was making me i didn't like side effects i thought i was good of course i'm a little bit hard i'm a little hard headed um a little impulsive as i've shared so at some point i decide to hell with this i like i can just stop it so i do what you're not supposed to do and try like just cold turkey going off it well horrible idea i crashed even further than i ever crashed before i went like way way down deep in the atlantic ocean crash it was bad crying crying all over again back in the closet back to tear machine back to like all the wrong thoughts and all the wrong places like you know it was bad man so don't do that don't do that and then i also tried slowly coming off it over a period of time like slowly winding down and even some of those times as i got lower i got into a bad spot so i wasn't i wanted to get off of it um but it wasn't working i wasn't showing myself it was making me feel good and so i really you know i accepted like i came to accept it that hey like it's all right like this is what makes you function this is what you need you got to take care of yourself just like as if you know you had some kind of liver issue or appendix or kidney issue right you have an issue with your brain um so maybe some kind of chemical or hormonal imbalance um some kind of brain chemistry thing whatever it is this is what you need to feel better to do better right just like you know it's it's a physiological thing so then we get to the point where we're thinking of we're thinking about moving back to um moving back to North Carolina. And I do want to say one other contributing factor to that to the depression crash was I went back to a job that I had done many years before um because it was I thought it was the right thing to do because I had kind of you know I remember it was it was I enjoyed the job. Well, I had this when I got back to that job. This is when we you know when we moved to Florida. I was doing something I'd done years ago. So I felt like as a provider, you know, I felt like a like I was a regression like I was going backwards the wrong direction. And so there was also like I wasn't I wasn't being mentally challenged and stimulated. 
I felt like almost like you know, I was going the wrong direction, like I was failing. You know, I was feeling like a failure. Um, even though the, the truth was I wasn't. So there, I just want to share a couple of those other things that, that contributed, you know, kind of serious job dissatisfaction did play a role uh, in addition to other things that I mentioned. So we're thinking about moving back to North Carolina. And I remember I was so scared. I was scared to make the wrong decision. Like I wanted to move back. I honestly, I, I, for one of the reasons was we missed it. Another reason was I was in, I was having a really hard time living in Florida. There were some, there were some triggers that were really affecting me and I just needed the space. I needed the physical space back, you know, where we were, where, where we loved it. We also, we loved where we lived in NC for, for many, for like 99 of a hundred reasons. And the one reason we lived in Florida was because it was because we enjoyed being in our family, but that was it. That's where it ended. So we learned that lesson. So, but I was afraid of making the wrong decision doing this to my family. So I remember talking with my therapist and I remember talking about how afraid I was of making the wrong decision. And he told me, he said, listen, he just gave me some good common sense advice. He said, um, one, you've shown the ability to, you know, get a job and take care of your family consistently. And two, I mean, he said, there are very few things in life that are absolutely irreversible. And boy, that stuck with me. There are very few things in life that are irreversible. And he's like, this is one of this is not irreversible. What's the worst thing that happened? You go back, if it is a wrong decision, if you absolutely had to, you could come back here again. And just like, he just kind of gave me permission to like, go for it. So my wife and I talked about it and we worked on it and things, you know, worked out. So we, we did end up moving back to NC, which is really cool. And I was hoping to kind of that just be like, like just enough to make me feel good and kind of have that physical space to be in a new space, kind of start over. But it didn't happen. It didn't work like that. I, we moved back to NC and I was still struggling. My mind was still, still having a hard time kind of ups and downs. Um, and that bothered me a lot. I remember having some tears in, in NC about it. Just, I was still, you know, fighting with, with depression as well. You know, I was better than I was, but I still was having some trouble. And over time though, in space, I did start to heal. So this is, you know, I think first had to, you know, for this all started in November, 2016. We moved back, to, I'm gonna guess it was maybe around August, 2017. And sometime, maybe around 18 or so, I think it's 2018 or so is when I started just, you know, I think I started to feel better, started to raise my hand for more leadership roles at work. I started doing better. And I think just time and space had helped me to heal as well as, you know, um, the medicine. I actually did not continue therapy, talk therapy in North Carolina. I tried meeting with someone, I met with, with a guy, it just wasn't a good, good fit. And I felt like I had processed the issues enough that I didn't, I didn't need to continue. So I was just doing the medicine, but over, you know, over that period of a year or so, I got better, felt better and uh, started doing better. But then COVID hit and probably like a lot of people, honestly, I'm a, I'm a social person when, you know, I was actually loving my job for a bit. And then COVID hit, went working remote on my own, isolate all the time. So basically about all of kind of the, from when COVID hit until within the past year, sometime when I started a new job, that whole time I was in a bad spot. Like I was performing at work, but I was um, mentally in a very, doing very poor, poorly as far as being isolated. It wasn't good for me. So, but then as I started a new job and I started getting a little bit more social again, um, I'm actually within the past, sometime in the past year, I've got, you know, started doing so well that I, with my physician, actually did gradually reduce and went off the medicine. So, and that was for the first time, like help cleanly since I started taking it probably in, I guess it's since 2017. So 2017 and 2022 saw, so I was on the medicine that medicine helped me for a good five years and it was, I couldn't done without it. Um, and that's, and, and, and I was doing all these other things too, trying to eat better exercise, all the stuff you say, you know, all these other things too prayer, et cetera. But I just, I just, my brain, my body just needed it. Um, so that was a big deal. It was a huge accomplishment to be able to get off of the medicine. Um, very, very happy about that. Proud of that. So, but then after doing that, I did start seeing a, a personal therapist 
And that was because, really, because I just wanted to just kind of be proactive. It was because I wanted to just, you know, I knew that it helped me before. I knew it was coming with the medicine. You know, I thought maybe this is a good way to kind of, you know, continue to be pro, pro, you know, proactive about the depression. You know, I've had issues with it before. It runs in the family. And let me see what I can do. And I've actually, and, I've, and I, I'm working with someone now, and my therapist is amazing. Amazing. And we were walking through all kinds of different issues. It's been really, really helpful. Um, and even though I'm not in like crisis mode, it's more just like ongoing coaching as far as, you know, behavior, whether it be personal kind of challenges I have in, in behavior, things I've shared, um, or even, you know, just, just what's going on. That's actually been really, really good. And, you know, kind of unbiased trained person. All right. I think I hit, that is the, the gist of the story. Um, as far as depression, the suicidal thoughts and, and what I learned, excuse me, what, what I experienced and how I got through it. And just for some context, for those of you who learn best through statistics and analysis, I did a little research before doing this call and a couple stats from Johns Hopkins medicine in Baltimore. So three key stats about mental health and depression to think about, about the severity and the impact of it. Number one, about one out of every four adults, about 25% of adults in America, suffer from a mental disorder each year. So if you look around your peer group, about one out of every four of you are suffering from some type of mental disorder each year. Number two, about 10% of, of American adults suffer from depression each year. So about 10% have, you know, run into what I ran into as far as depression, a depressive disorder. And number three, um, most people who die from suicide have a diagnosable mental health or mental disorder and typically depression or substance abuse. So most people who die from suicide have a diagnosable mental health disorder, such as and most, and most predominantly depression or suicide. So really important stats about the severity, right? This is my personal story. And as you can hear from this, there are many, many, many more out there just like this one. So it's very common, it's very, very common. Um, I just wanna share that in case you're someone, or you know, you are someone who struggle, who did struggle, are struggling, or will struggle with this. You know, you're not alone. It's very, very common. It's a common thing, just like there's other things. There's, you know, there's all kinds of things we go through that are common. So, all right, so I shared the adversity I faced. I shared how I got through it, my stories of the ups and downs of, you know, deciding, committing to um, talk therapy and medicine, right? So then now for the real, the most important part, from my perspective is what did I learn? What did I learn from all of this? So I sum it up in a, a, few, th- a, few, key th- a few key things. The first one is getting help equals strength. So getting help equals strength. So I thought for a long time that asking for some kind of additional help, you know, getting the support, whether it's, you know, medicine or therapy. I thought that being a man, being masculine, being strong um, meant not doing those things, that that showed that I'm weak. Like I should have control of this. I own this. This is me. I can control this. It isn't like something external to me. I didn't get shot. I didn't get burned. Like it's something that it's in my mind. Like I can, I can overcome this on my own. I don't need something else. So I thought that it meant I was weak. Um, What I've realized is if you seek out help when you need it, it actually means you're strong enough. You are strong to take ownership and take control of your situation. Just like if I got my arm chopped off, I wouldn't say walk around with one arm talking about I'm too strong for this. I'm just going to grow back my arm on my own or reattach it. I don't need help. I've got this. I'm a man. I'm tough. Like, for some reason, there's a fear or a shame or this, this 
illusion of control because it's this invisible thing in our mind. We think that we can control it. You know, if you got cancer or if you got pneumonia or you had a liver problem, you know, you'd have no issue going to the doctor. You'd have no issue going to get the support you need. But there's something about mental or psychological or emotional health that makes us think getting help means we're weak. That could not be further from the damn truth. There could be some kind of chemical deficiencies in your brain, you know, that could have nothing, nothing to do with your personal strength or weakness. So the sooner that we, and this was me, can consider mental health an illness just like every other illness where you see a doctor or a medical professional to help you heal, the better that we can handle it. There is a huge opportunity to improve the mindsets, the hearts, and the minds of people, especially men like myself, in how we think about treating mental health issues. I personally believe that we have a branding problem, right? We have a branding problem. We have an advertising and marketing problem where we have solutions, right? We have problems, but we need to make it attractive, right? For people to, get, to want to go um, obtain those solutions, which we can talk about more in a later episode. So we've got a lot of cases where people are not seeking the solutions. I was like that. It took me a long time. How many people out there are, are suffering or maybe aren't making it because they're not seeking the solutions for a number of reasons we mentioned. We can improve the lives of so many people and their families if we can help solve that problem. So that was the one thing. That's getting help equals strength. Number two, I thought all along my life, you know, I was 33, all the things that I have shared, I shared in episode two, the things that I experienced, I thought that I was bulletproof, man. I thought I was Mr. Teflon Shield. Like you could just, I had, if you were playing Fortnite, I had some kind of invisible shield around me. You could shoot all those bullets. They all just bounced off. Like I was invincible, Mr. Invincible with, um, what was that? Mark Wahlberg, I think the football movie. All right. So, but really the reality was all of this pain and trauma and suffering, all of that, all that hurt through my life. It wasn't bouncing off of me. I was not Mr. Teflon. I was fooling myself, brother. I was not bouncing stuff off of me. All of those things were lodging into my body. All those bullets were sticking inside of my flesh. I had all these flesh wounds. They were so bad that I had skin growing over them. So I've got all these damage. You know, my, my, this is a video game. My HP, my health points, right, was real, real low. I just didn't realize it, right? I didn't realize I had all this, taking all these shots. So I was carrying around shrapnel for 30 plus years. All of these wounds were subconsciously affecting the things that I did. They were why they were why I wasn't really showing up. They're why I wasn't really communicating. They're why I wasn't able to really feel things. They're why you know I did a lot of things that would probably you know I wasn't a kind of a fully healthy functioning human being, not living my best life. It wasn't until I got help and faced my fears and faced my pain and faced my problems head on and did the work that I could to heal and get better that I could remove all those injuries, the shrapnel. So think about that for you. Do you have any unresolved issues that you need to face? You may not feel like those things are bothering you. You may think, hey, it was so long ago, you know, that shouldn't, AKA shouldn't. Whenever you hear should or shouldn't, should or shouldn't, man, the shoulds are, are they'll get you. They sneak up on you. Don't, you know, Pay attention when you say should or should not. So are there unresolved issues you need to face? Ignorance and avoidance, putting the blinders on is not an effective long-term strategy. It may help you get through it temporarily. Sometimes you gotta do it to cope, I get it. But at some point, you need to face your fears. You want an inspirational song? My son put, turned me on to this. This is my inspirational jam. Look up Pitbull, I believe we will win. And he talks about I believe fear spreads faster than any virus. You know, Pitbull's, he's he's high energy, man. I'm I'm about that. So he says, when you have fear, you can either, what was it? Flee everything and run, 
or face everything and rise. And he says, I believe we're going to face everything and rise, face our fears. So I, I encourage you when you're ready, when you've got the support system, look for ways to face your fears, you know, you know, and don't do it alone. Like use your support system. So that's, that was number two. I thought I was bulletproof. Really? I need had, I needed some serious surgery and I had that surgery and that's helped me become a better person, better husband, better father, better person who's here talking to you, trying, trying to help in some way. All right. Next one. This one is really, really important to me. Lesson number three. And that is suffering equals understanding. Well, how is that? Well, by going through this pain of major depressive disorder for the first time in my life, I was able to better understand what it was like for my mom to have bipolar disorder, which consists of a depressive phase. All this time as a child, even as an adult, you know, I, I had, I thought I knew what depression was. I read about it. Like I read the symptoms and just like anything for those of y'all who are parents, I don't care how many books you watch. I don't care if you watch that miracle of life video that scares the hell out of you when you're, you know, 14, whatever it is. I don't care. Even babysitting. You don't know what it's like to be a parent until you're actually a parent. Well, in the same vein, any major form of suffering, you can do your best to understand it. But you don't know what it's truly like until you've experienced it firsthand and felt all of the full experience. So I was able to understand what my mom went through in a way. I understood why she locked herself up in the bedroom and would stay up there all day long and be unresponsive, right? I understood it because I didn't find myself doing the same thing. I'd go to my bedroom. I've got kids who are in the like great years. I've got a loving wife, but you know, where was I? I went in my room, bright sunny day, locked the door, locked my, go in my closet, shut the lights out and cried because I was in pain. So much pain that I couldn't even deal with or see or anything or anyone. This gave me so much joy, not the pain, but the understanding to be able to, while she was alive, I remember telling my mom after I got through it, you know, I was on the other side of depression and I was taking the medicine. I said, mom, I said, I understand now. I understand. I understand. Like I've had the depression stuff too. And this is what I'm doing. I'm taking medicine and I get what part of what you've gone through. And that meant so much to me to be able to tell her that I get you. And, you know, I, I didn't get a ton of feedback. I kind of got like a little head nod. Um, but that meant a lot to me to be able to understand her better. And now I better understand people that have gone through this and it makes a big big difference for me mentally and I'll turn that to you think about something that you've gone through we've all gone through stuff we all go through stuff what kind of pain suffering adversity difficulties have you gone through that make you uniquely qualified to better understand someone who's going through that right now is there an opportunity where you could share maybe a word or two of what you learned or what helped you to get through that thing. You know, maybe it's the loss of a parent. Maybe it's the loss of a pet. Maybe it's losing a job. Whatever it may be. Maybe it's struggling on a job, new job. You know, is there a way you could share that with someone to help offer them a hand up? It's amazing what those little acts of kindness can do for people. It may seem like so little to you, but it can mean the world to them. So that was the, that was the second one, and that's suffering equals understanding and then number three and this one's more humorous it's amazing how many damn tears the human body is capable of producing I didn't cry for much of my life for 33 years but suddenly I became a freaking tear factor if you ever played Monopoly there was a thing called waterworks man I was waterworks I was a tear factory I didn't know it was possible the human body can can produce so many tears it was crazy. So I didn't know that was possible. That was a physiological thing. But then lastly, most this one's really important to me. I learned just how much my wife loves me. You know, my dad always said as a coach, he said, you don't learn, you know, you don't learn a whole lot when you win. You know, it's easy when you're winning. You coach a lot of sports in high school. He said, when you lose, that's when you learn. You learn a lot about yourself when you lose. So I was losing big time. 
And I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about my wife. So my wife was, she had my back, even though I would not have blamed her if she left me. I would not, I was miserable. I was not healthy. And she stuck with me through the darkest, most difficult times of my life. And I would not have blamed her if she wanted to walk. I am forever grateful, forever, forever thankful and appreciative for her being in my corner. And I hope that some of you who are out listening to this, if you're in this situation or if you're on the other side of a situation where you're the one who's healthy, maybe you're dealing with someone who's struggling, you know, maybe it just gives a little bit better understanding of how you can love and support someone who's close to you or maybe reinforces something you're already doing. That was an amazing thing. Relationships, having that support can make a big difference. I was fortunate to have that, have that support in this moment. So, all right, let's wrap it up. So what did we talk about today? Well, we talked about adversity. In my case, it was my story of major depressive disorder. You know, how I, how I experienced it and what it was like. We talked about how I got through it. You know, getting to a turning point where I realized I needed more help. I needed help of therapy. I needed help of medication. And those things changed my life. And that's why I'm here talking today. And what did I learn? Well, I learned, number one, getting help equals being strong. It is strong to get help. Number two, you need to remove the shrapnel, right? You're not, you're not bulletproof. About to see, hold on. Yep, unedited, sorry. Maybe when, uh, this gets bigger, we'll edit stuff. Not there yet. All right, number two, remove the shrapnel, excuse me. Number three, suffering equals understanding. So when you suffer, it can help you understand people better. That's a beautiful thing. It can re- our, our, our suffering can unite us. Number four, it's amazing how many tears the human body can produce. And number five, I learned how much my wife loves me unconditionally, and I'm forever grateful. And I did mention all those things about, obviously, about you know suicidal thoughts. Again, if you or you know anyone who's struggling, there is that crisis line at nine eight eight. Because um, I also say. I also better understand people who have considered or people who have died by suicide because from being where I was, right? It's, in my case, it was all about pain. It's about pain and, and pain reduction and, and getting rid of the pain. So I, inc- I thank you for making the time. I hope this was helpful. Love your feedback as always. You can always hit me up, leave a review on the podcast. That really means a lot if you're able to do it on Apple Podcasts or if you're able to do it on Spotify. Um, that helps in a lot of ways. If you can do that, leave a review, review or a rating. If this if this was helpful to you, any feedback is, is appreciated. Or you can email me um, in the email in the description, triumphovertraumaspring at gmail.com. And then I just encourage you to, it's that holidays time of year, um, check in on your loved ones, especially those who are always smiling, right? Sometimes that can be a mask for what's going on. Um, take care of yourself. Take care of those around you. We'll be talking next time. All right. Love y'all. Triumph over trauma. Peace.